Hello, everyone. You are listening to Christ in the Classroom presented by Sophia Institute for Teachers. I'm your host, Jose Gonzalez. Uh, Thank you for listening and joining us this week. Uh, Today's episode is called God's Story and Our Story, the Importance of Knowing Salvation History. Very excited to dive into this topic with you. Uh, And this week, um, I'm flying solo. No guests this week. And so excited to spend some time just kind of one-on-one with all of you uh, this week. Uh, And so let's begin our time together uh, with a prayer. Uh, In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Direct, O Lord, we beseech you all our actions by your holy inspirations and carry them on by your gracious assistance. That every prayer and work of ours may begin always from you and by you be happily ended through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'd like to begin by reading um, a short story. Um, and I'm, I'm stealing this uh, as an excerpt. It's uh, from a book by Dr. Scott Hahn called A Father Who Keeps His Promises. Uh, it's, a, it's an older book. Uh, many of you may have heard of it. Many of you may have read it. Um, but uh, if you haven't, uh, I, I think this is an appropriate story to introduce our topic. Uh, and so uh, I give I give him the credit for, 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 for writing the book here. Um, and, and this is how he opens the book. Everybody felt it, a moment of eerie silence, a low rumble, and then the ground began to shake. Buildings swayed and buckled, then collapsed like houses of cards. Less than four minutes later, over 30,000 were dead from a magnitude 8.2 earthquake that rocked and nearly flattened Armenia in 1989. In the muddled chaos, a distressed father bolted through the winding streets, leading to the school where his son had gone earlier that morning. The man couldn't stop thinking about the promise he'd given his son so many times. No matter what happens, Armand, I'll always be there. He reached the site where the school had been, but saw only a pile of rubble. He just stood there at first, fighting back tears, and then took off, stumbling over debris toward the east corner where he knew his son's classroom had been. With nothing but his bare hands, he started to dig. He was desperately pulling up bricks and pieces of wall plaster while others stood by, watching in forlorn disbelief. He heard someone growl, forget it, mister, they're all dead. He looked up, flustered, and replied, You can grumble or you can help me lift these bricks. Only a few pitched in and most of them gave up once their muscles began to ache. But the man couldn't stop thinking about his son. He kept digging and digging for hours, 12 hours, 18 hours, 24 hours, 36 hours. Finally, into the 38th hour, he heard a muffled groan from under a piece of wallboard. He seized the board, pulled it back and cried, Armand! From the darkness came a slight shaking voice. Papa? Other weak voices began calling out as the young survivors stirred beneath the still uncleared rubble. Gasps and shouts of bewildered relief came from the few onlookers and parents who remained. They found 14 of the 33 students still alive. When Armand finally emerged, he tried to help dig until all his surviving classmates were out. Everybody standing there heard him as he turned to his friends and said, See, I told you my father wouldn't forget us. That's the kind of faith we need because that's the kind of father we have. A beautiful story. Um, very, um, that story's always moved me. It's always, uh, it's one I like to use often as an example. Um, when teaching about the father's love and teaching about salvation history, which is what we're going to dig into today. Um, do we know the love of the father? Uh, do we know the depths of his love? Do we know the lengths to which he has gone 
to pursue us. You see, our faith, the story of our faith, the story of salvation history is a love story. Uh, It's the story of a father who passionately loves us and who seeks us out no matter what. You see, all of us, in a sense, are Armand. All of us have been... um, have been crushed by the weight of of a building during an earthquake and the father has desperately sought us out. He seeks us. He desires us. Um, You know, I I think this is why it is so crucial um, that, that we understand the story of salvation, that we understand the story of the father pursuing us, desiring our relationship with us. Because so many of us don't know this story. So many of our students don't know this story. And when we don't know this story, it makes it so much harder for our faith to be relevant, to be something that we that we that we seek and, and take priority in, right? So let's start with this. What is salvation history? Let's define salvation history. The history of God coming to meet man in time through the revelation of his words and deeds so that we might be saved from being eternally separated from him. So this is the just the textbook definition. It's the story, the history of God coming to meet man, how God pursued us, how God chased after us simply so that we could be saved from being separated from him, right? It's the story of how out of love, out of nothing, he created us and we rejected that love. And yet he doesn't let us stay there and he still pursues us even when we reject him, right? That is a powerful story. That is a beautiful image, right? That God loves us so much. He's, he will stop at nothing and will continually invite and continually seek us, right? He'll give us every opportunity. This is the story of salvation history. So why should we study salvation history? Why is salvation history so important? Why is God's story so important for us to understand, right? We have to make God's story our story. We have to we have to come into the story because it is our story. We are invited into this story, right? So why do we study it? One is to know the Bible. The Bible gives us the story of salvation history. And so we study it so we can know scripture, so we can know the Bible. Two, we study it so that we can know Catholic theology because scripture is the soul of theology. Everything that we teach as a church, everything, all the doctrines, everything that we teach, no matter what, is in the context of salvation history. It's found within the story of God coming to seek us and to know us, right? And three, it's to help us for understanding our own lives and to engage the culture, right? Knowing God's story helps us make sense of our story and helps us then give the world its story. Um, St. Augustine used to refer to salvation history as the narratio, the story, right? It's not just a story, it's the story through which all other stories are told in that context, find their home, their meaning in that story, right? The sad reality is though, as a culture we're losing this story. We're losing our story, right? We've lost meaning to our lives, right? Um, so often we seek meaning in other places through through the phones, through media, through causes, through whatever it may be, right? We desperately grapple to find meaning 
And it's because we've lost our story. What happens, um, have you ever started reading a book or turned on a TV or a movie? And within a, within a few moments, it's very clear. You're like, I don't think this has much of a plot. Um, you're not finding much meaning in it. It's not capturing your attention. What do we do? We shut it off. We close that book. We turn off that movie. We turn off the TV or we channel surf. We change the channel or we, we, we try and find another book. This is what's happening in our culture. We don't find the plot or the meaning and we don't understand the story. And so what do we do? We turn it off. We change the channel. We try and find meaning where meaning is not, right? We've lost the basics of the story. We've lost the thread. We've lost the narrative, right? And so what do we need to do? We need to recover our story. We need to, we need to re, um, retell this story. We need to share this story with others. Uh, so often when we are teaching students, uh, when we are especially teenagers um, and middle schoolers, they so often just want to dive into issue X, Y, and Z, or we have the tendency to like, we just need to teach them to pray. We just need to teach them this. We just need to teach them that. When the reality is that most students do not know the story. If you don't know the story, then nothing makes sense outside that context. If we want to pray more, we need to know the story. If we want to understand why the why um, Christ calls us to a certain way of living, we need to know the story. If we want to know why there why we have issues, um, why we can't embrace and accept homosexuality or transgenderism, we need to know the story, right? Every issue, everything boils down to not understanding the story, not knowing the narrative. So we need to recover that story. So before we, we, we dive into all these issues with our students, we have to teach them the story. No matter what subject we're teaching, we've got to go back to this basic narrative. And we can tell salvation history, we can tell this story in miniature, in short form, or we can elongate it. You know, we have we had an entire class that I taught called Salvation History, right? That that it can be a whole course, but we also need to maybe retell the story of salvation history, even in an abbreviated form, in a morality class. Right? For our younger students, take the time to read them the story. Share the scriptures with them, right? The Bible stories. And don't just read the stories you know, isolated, but read them in the big picture, right? So that's kind of what I want to talk about today is what is, what's the story, right? Because scripture, we know the Bible, it's a thick book. It can be very daunting. Uh, I still remember um, being a first year teacher and a student asking me if I had ever read the whole Bible from cover to cover, read the whole thing from start to finish. And I have to say at that point in my life, I had not. But what I had done was at least study the basic narrative books. I knew the structure. Um, 
since then, uh, I, I, I have read the entire, the entirety of the scriptures from start to finish every single book. That was a new year's thing. I, 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 I purchased a, a Bible in a year that I read. Um, and now, uh, if you haven't heard Father Mike Schmitz, I think he has, I think is the highest rated podcast right now called the Bible in a year. And he's going through this, the entire Bible in a year. Um, and that's great, right? If you feel called to that, that is a step in the journey that is excellent. But if that overwhelms you and, and you're, and you're thinking, I just don't know that I can get through the entire Bible in one year, um, I think there is baby steps that we can take and maybe someday you'll get to that point, but I, I want to help make scripture um, in today's episode. I really want to focus on how can we just get the basic narrative, the basic framework and, and what are, how can we approach it um, without it feeling so daunting? Right. So um, I want to share with you, what are the narrative books, right? So, so the Bible has, um, has, you know, has, uh, has many, many books. And these are, this is not, does not even come close to all of them. But if I were to take, instead of doing all, if I was, instead of reading every book of the old Testament and every book of the new Testament, if I were just to pick out what are the books that, that flow and give the narrative, give the main narrative, right? Um, I think oftentimes, um, you, you know, we, we need the whole, the whole picture. Oftentimes we read the Bible where we're just kind of flipping through, um, you know, or at mass, I, I, I might hear this gospel or this passage and everything's sort of out of context, right? We, or we get in a habit where I just flip over the Bible randomly and read, read a section. And that might be well and good for spiritual nourishment, but that only is that, that only is as effective as how well do I know the story? So if I know the story really well, if I know the narrative thread really well, when I open and read a random book, I can figure out kind of where it fits, right? And how it, how to approach it. Uh, whenever you're reading a novel, say, or even a biography, whenever you're reading a book that's not scripture, you don't just open to the middle of the book and start reading, right? You go from start to finish and you get the full narrative thread, what's happening. So, scripture is made up of the narrative thread, the narrative books. And then there's all sorts of other supplemental books that help enhance that narrative, but aren't necessarily part of the larger, larger narrative story. And so sometimes it's easier to just focus on those narrative books and start there. So what are these narrative books? First, we have Genesis, right? So you want to read, if, you, if you're going to read the narrative, you want to read all of Genesis, right? Then you want to read all of Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, Ezra, Nehemiah, First Maccabees, Luke, or really any gospel, but Luke is the one I chose here, and Acts. Right. So, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges. 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, Ezra, Nehemiah, 1 Maccabees, Luke, and Acts. That's 14 books, right? So when you take the 70-some books in, in Scripture and you, you pare it down, 14 seems way more manageable, right? And so these are, if you want a, a big picture of everything, read these 14 books. Then you can go back and read the others. Then you can kind of dive in and do some of these other things if you're not quite there yet, right? This is very doable. 
in a year or in a few months, right, to get through these 14 books. And these give you the big picture. Now you see in parentheses, if you're, if you're, if you're watching the video, um, if you're listening, I'll go over this as well. You'll, you'll be able to hear. Um, but in parentheses of each of these uh, books, I've mentioned um, uh, a general time period. So if we look at salvation history, it's divided into main, um, some, some very, um, some main um, time periods, right? So let's go through those main time periods. So the first is the history of the early world, and that's covered in Genesis chapters 1 through 11. So the history of the early world gives us, you know, creation through Noah's Ark, right? The stories of, you know, of, of God's initial plan and how, um, you know, the fall and how he responds and gets the plan rolling. Then we have the patriarchs. This is where Genesis 12 through 50 is found in the patriarchs. Then we move into Egypt and Exodus. So the Israelites are in slavery and then they um, are freed. And this is all covered in the book of Exodus. Then we have the desert wandering. So Israel's journey from slavery into the promised land. It's time in isolate. It's time in the desert. Uh, and that is, that time period is called desert wanderings. And that's covered in the book of Numbers. Then conquest and judges. So the conquering of the promised land to its early history um, ruled by the judges um, that is covered in the books of Joshua and judges. Then we have royal kingdom. So this is where Israel starts to rise as a kingdom. We have, um, we meet Saul and King David and Solomon and it's, in mo it's its most prosperous time, right? And this is covered by first and second Samuel and first Kings. Well, Eventually, Israel sins, um, and and there's there's issues, and they become a divided nation because of the sins of um, Solomon and and his son, and so we get the divided kingdom, and that's where Israel splits in two: the northern and the southern kingdom, and that's covered also as part of First Kings, the second half of First Kings. Israel then eventually leads into a time of exile, right? They're exiled into Babylon. They're conquered by Babylon. The North is conquered and destroyed by Assyria. And then the South is conquered and destroyed by Babylon. And they go into a period of the Babylonian exile. And we see all of that unfold and take place in the second, in the book of second Kings. Eventually they return from exile and in the, in the, that time period is called the return. And that was, that is, we see that in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. After a time of return and they encounter further oppressions by the Greeks um, and, and they, they, uh, there's a series of, of revolts and, and martyr, martyrs during this time. And this time period is called the Maccabean Revolt, which is covered in 1st Maccabees. Eventually, God's ultimate promise and plan is fulfilled through the sending of the Messiah, the new covenant. And this time is called the messianic fulfillment as covered by Luke in the, in, in the, in the other gospels. And then eventually we have, um, you know, the age that we are in now um, as the apostles begin and carry out Christ's mission in the book of Acts. And this time period is the church, right? So this gives us, this gives you kind of a, a an overarching narrative and overarching view um, and, and the different time periods and the di different books of scripture. Um, I do encourage you to read the entire Bible when you, when you feel called and led in that direction. But if that is something that feels too daunting for right now, just focusing on these narrative books is a great place to start and to really get a, a good solid uh, thread, narrative thread from start to finish. What's happening? What happens? How do, in the beginning, God creates the fall, 
all the way through God's pursuing of Israel, pursuing of the people, and culminating in the new covenant with Christ and the establishing of the church. So that gives us the big picture, right? This picture is crucial. If we don't know this picture, none of the doctrines, none of the extra stuff we're talking about matters. It, it, it doesn't, right? Because this shows us God's plan and invites us into personal relationship with Christ, invites us into the new covenant. Until I accept my role in that plan, until I see my life playing a part in this story, then none of the other stuff matters, right? Think of all the woes, all the struggles, all the difficulties we see in life. All of our students that are most wounded, the families that we see wounded, the difficulties that we encounter, all come. The, the reaction, the negative reaction to politics, the divisiveness, all of that stems from the fact that we as a human race, as a society right now, are looking for meaning in all the wrong places. The meaning, the plot is found here in this story. So let's go through uh, some basic elements, some, some of the big picture points of this story, um, focusing on the covenants, right? And I want to talk about covenant for a moment. What is a covenant? Why is this so important to understand? So covenant is the central theme throughout scripture, right? We cannot understand scripture if we don't understand covenant, right? Covenant is how God relates to his people. So it comes from the Latin word convenir, which means to come together or to agree. How do we define covenant? The, the definition of covenant is a formal and solemn pact or agreement binding two or more parties to mutual responsibilities. It is an exchange of persons. An exchange of persons. I love that. That is a beautiful way of describing covenant. Right? This might sound like a contract, but what is a contract? A contract is an exchange of goods or services. A covenant is an exchange of persons. And a contract is a 50-50 agreement. A covenant is a 100-100 agreement, right? Which is what is the most, what is the covenant that modern man most frequently enters into but doesn't understand it as covenant often today? Marriage. Marriage is a covenant, right? Um, I don't go at marriage at a 50-50. Marriage would fail at 50-50, right? Marriages fail when we look at it as a 50-50 exchange, Marriages succeed when couples look at it as a 100-100. I totally give myself the, and my spouse totally gives herself, right? That is what covenant is. It is an exchange of persons. It is uh, this beautiful call to relationship in a deep and, and binding way, right? And this is the kind of relationship God wants to have with us and that God calls us to. God wants us to share in his life. He gives of himself and pours himself out completely for us and in exchange wants everything from us to him, right? This, it's a beautiful uh, understanding of relationship. So throughout salvation history, there are six major covenants. There are lots of little covenants that take place. So anytime you see, um, you know, a ritual word or a ritual action taking place or an oath is sworn that there's a covenant in a sense that is happening, but there are six major ones, six big ones that take place um, within the context of salvation history. And they all kind of flow 
one into another. So it's really important if you if you know kind of the gist of these six covenants, this gives you the backdrop for everything that's taking place in in those narrative books, right? Is they're all parts of 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 this, right? So the first covenant we have is the covenant with Adam, right? And each covenant has a promise. So the promise in the covenant with Adam is God called Adam to share in his blessings in the marriage covenant with Eve and promised to deliver them from sin by crushing the head of the serpent. So God forms a covenant with Adam from the very beginning, right? And, and this is his promise. The covenant mediator is Adam. The covenant role is a husband. The covenant form is a marriage. And the covenant sign is the Sabbath, right? God creates Adam out of nothing. And when he sees Adam is alone, he creates Eve, right? Scripture, the covenants open with a marriage, right? This is what this is where I think, you know, where we see the beauty of I, I mentioned marriage as a covenant, right? Marriage as a covenant is, is a beautiful analogy for God's relationship with us, right? I love without, I could, we could go on, we could spend, I could spend so much time on this beautiful imagery, but scripture opens with a wedding and ends with a wedding, right? Genesis, the first marriage between man and woman, and it culminates in the great wedding feast of the lamb in the book of Revelation. So, this imagery is absolutely beautiful. But as we know what happens, God is always faithful, but we are not. And so Adam and Eve are not faithful to the covenant. They fall, they sin, right? And so that so that so then what happens? God just quits? No. God, um, in his infinite mercy, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we get what is called the Proto-Evangelium, which is Greek for the first proclamation of the gospel. And he promises that the woman's seed will crush the head of the serpent. He promises a savior. He promises that he will deliver them from this. They've just rejected him. But he promises that he's not going to give up on them, even though there's consequences. Even though they've severed that relationship, they need to leave the garden. God is going to continue to pursue them. I think, And I think one of the most beautiful images in scripture is at the end here, what does God do as he expels them from the garden of Eden? He makes clothes for them. He makes clothes for them. Like, that's beautiful and fatherly, right? And he expels them. So that's the covenant with Adam. Well, as we know, death enters the world. We have Cain and Abel. Sin kind of starts to abound. And so God's going to try and start over, right? The covenant with Noah is, in a sense, a recreation covenant. So the covenant with Noah, what does God promise here? God pledged to Noah to keep him and his family safe from the flood and then swore never to wipe out the human family in that way again. He promises never um, to, to destroy the world by flood again. The covenant mediator here is Noah. The covenant role is he is a father. The covenant form is now a household. And the covenant sign is now a rainbow.
right? So um, the rainbow in, in, in the sky promised that he will never flood the earth again. Right? So what happens though? Um, Noah, sin continues and enters in. We get um, the uh, Ham sins against Noah and he is cursed. Shem is blessed and continues the line. Um, we get the Tower of Babel incident that, that occurs and God scatters um, the people. So sin continues to abound. And then we meet um, from, from the line of Shem um, comes Abraham. Right? And Abraham is, um, is who God really um, inaugurates his plan of salvation with Abraham. From Ab Abraham is the foundational covenant through which all other covenants, all the other covenants that come flow, right? Every, every covenant made from this point on is a fulfillment of a promise that God makes to Abraham, right? So what does God promise Abraham? God promised Abraham that he would be the father of a host of nations, descendants as numerous as the stars. The covenant mediator is Abraham. The covenant role is a chieftain. The covenant form is a tribe and the covenant sign is circumcision. So Abraham really within this promise, he promises um, there's a threefold promise within this larger promise. He promises Abraham a great name or, or a great name, great name, great nation and a worldwide blessing really. So, so starting with nation, right? The promise of of to Abraham that he will be a great nation flows into Moses name or a dynasty that's going to flow into the covenant with David and a worldwide blessing that's going to flow into and come to fulfillment in Christ when the whole world will be blessed through Christ. So you see all of this is Abraham begins kind of that the, he inaugurates God's plan of salvation really. So then we have the covenant with Moses, right? Um, as we know the story, the rest of the story of the patriarchs, Abraham becomes the father of Isaac. Isaac then goes um, and marries Rebecca and has twins, Jacob and Esau. Jacob steals the blessing from Esau. Um, he's punished for that in other small ways and struggles that he has. Um, we don't have time to get into the full story, but um, if you haven't read it, it's really a, a an amazing story. Um, and then Jacob has his 12 sons, right? The 12 tribe, which will lead, be the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jake, um, Jacob's favorite son is Joseph. We know the story of Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, right? Jo the story of Joseph, the, the dreamer, right? And Joseph, um, his brothers sell him into slavery and into Egypt. And then he rises up through the ranks and his brothers eventually seek him out. He reconciles with them, but that's how the Israelites end up in Egypt. And the Pharaoh who was under, um, who, who invited them in dies and a new Pharaoh comes in and he doesn't like this arrangement and he sees the Israelites as a threat. So he enslaves them. Right. And so then God raises up Moses to deliver them and he promises the Lord the Lord uses Moses to lead Israel out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt. And he pledges to, to the people through him that they will occupy the promised land of Canaan as their inheritance. Right? So he promises them this, um, the covenant mediator is Moses. The covenant role of Moses is a judge. The covenant form is a nation 
and the covenant sign is, is two signs, the Passover and then the law, right? The 10 commandments, right? So uh, Moses leads the people out. Um, we know the story uh, in the desert. Uh, they sin rather quickly. Uh, eventually that leads to 40 days and 40 nights. And eventually um, they conquer the promised land after some, a significant amount of time in the desert. And we be get the early beginnings, right? The early beginnings, they're first ruled by judges. Things don't go real well. There's a lot of issues. Eventually, um, they find King Saul. And Saul is also a man that does not always choose things wisely. Uh, and eventually, we get King David, who is described as a man after the Lord's own heart. So the covenant with David. Um, God made a covenant with David to build a worldwide kingdom by establishing an everlasting throne with the son of David. The covenant mediator is David. The covenant role is a king. The covenant form is a kingdom. And the covenant sign is a throne or a temple. So uh, the Lord promises David that someone from his line will be on the throne forever. Right? And, and we really see that come to fulfillment with Jesus Christ being in the line of David, which is why the gospel writers go through such great lengths to establish Jesus as the heir of David, right? Because so, so what's going to happen is David is very prosperous and leads Israel in a lot of great ways. And uh, eventually, um, but eventually he sins, he falls short, right? Uh, he makes the mistake of um, sinning with Bathsheba and killing one of his good friends in order to cover up his, his mistakes, he does repent tremendously, which is beautiful. Psalm 51 is um, David's psalm of repentance for that sin. And then God raises up Solomon, who is his son. And Solomon builds an amazing temple, a tremendous temple, um, really prospers the wealth of Israel, but also falls prey to foreign gods. And eventually his son uh, comes, takes over and decides he's going to be way more strict than his father. He's going to oppress the people. And so the people rebel and the, the kingdom divides. Um, but what's interesting is even when the kingdom divides in the south, which is the southern kingdom where Jerusalem is, there is a king from the line of David on the throne the entire time. And even through the exile, we see that even, we see that there is the line of David does not get cut off. And that's what we discover in the lineage lineage of, of Matthew. So even, even when they are in exile, someone from David's line continues um, to, to be around, to thrive, right? Even though in many ways, the people think the line has been cut off. But as, as you read Matthew, if you read that genealogy, that really long geneal genealogical list, you, we see, he shows us that lineage goes all the way and continues until Jesus. Right. So that brings us to the final covenant, the new covenant in Christ. So the father sends Jesus to fulfill all other covenants through his death and resurrection. We are all bound in one covenant, eternal life for all who believe is promised. The covenant mediator is Jesus. The covenant role is Royal high priest. The covenant form is the Catholic church and the covenant sign is the Eucharist. Right. Everything that the Lord promised and works through comes to fulfillment in this final covenant. Right? Notice how God reveals himself in stages, how this works. He starts with a couple, with Adam and Eve, right? The covenant form being, being a marriage. Then he goes to a family, to Noah. 
which is a, a couple plus their children, a family. Then it goes to a tribe, which is many families. Then it goes to a nation, which is many tribes. Then it goes to a kingdom, which is many nations. And then it goes to the entire world, to the Catholic means universal. So he opens that up to the entire world, right? So the Lord, um, the Lord really just um, does amazing things. I hope that was uh, helpful uh, I, and, and gave you a good overview uh, to just kind of get the basics started and, and, and get um, get you interested in wanting to dig deeper. Obviously, uh, on a short podcast episode, we can only uh, dig in so far. And so I really hope uh, that, that this kind of just gave you a good overview. Um, I really want to recommend some great resources because there's some great ones out there uh, that I think will help help you dig deeper. The first of those is the book that I read out of called The Father Who Keeps His Promises by Scott Hahn at the very beginning. That gives a great overview of the basic covenants and really does does a great uh, summary of everything. Um, and it's a really easy read. Uh, he, he writes for the average person. And so it's a, it's a really easy kind of dig in read. Um, the second one is called The Great Adventure Bible Timeline with Jeff Cavins. I'm sure many of you have heard of it. Um, it's been around for a while. Um, for myself, um, it really was one of those things that kind of, I, I did it for the first time um, after my first year of teaching and it just sort of kind of blew my mind. Um, so I had a degree in theology and unfortunately I had one course that was really um, good in scripture. Um as far as like really giving me the story, right? Um, I, I took some great courses on how to interpret scripture and how to write papers on scripture, um, but I didn't really have, I had one good course called the introduction of the Bible that really gave me the great picture of salvation history. Um, and to their credit is really when you're in an undergrad, undergrad, um, you know, degree in, in, in theology, you should know the story by the time you get to studying theology, right? This is, this is one of those basic things that sadly does not, um, most people don't dig in too much. Right. Uh, and so, uh, it's sad that really I didn't get the narrative picture till I was in my early twenties. Um, but many of us are probably in that same boat because it's just not, taught in that in in this way very often. And so Jeff Cavins does a really beautiful job of going through the major highlights and he, he's got a beautiful timeline. Um, I used to use the timeline with my students. Um, and so I encourage you to kind of dig into that, maybe get a copy of the timeline. Uh, he's got some great resources there. Um, we have a resource called A Story of Love and Mercy, which is a teacher's guide of supplemental lessons on the different covenants. Um, in fact, this week's lesson that we are posting for free um, comes from that guide. It's it's the intro lesson. I would really encourage you uh, to, to take a look at that resource. It's got great ways to kind of communicate this to your students. Um, another, this, this one I discovered only a few years ago, this one's a little bit newer, um, and it's excellent. It's called Bible Basics for Catholics by Dr. John Bergsma. Uh, and he does a great job sort of outlining salvation history and giving you stick figures to draw as you go for your students. It's really excellent. Um, I really encourage you to, to take a look at that book as well. Uh, we, uh, another book is called Walking with God, A Journey Through the Bible by Dr. Tim Gray and Jeff Cavins really kind of takes that timeline and spells it out and really kind of fleshes everything out. This one's a little bit, um, a little bit of a longer read, but a great read as well. Uh, and then finally, if you want kind of a, a more um, teen, a teen version of what Jeff Cavins does, 
there's a T3 teen Bible timeline with Mark Hart. It's videos along with the, with a, with the timeline, all really good resources for yourself and for your students. I really encourage you to really dig into this more because knowing the story really is the key and the heart of what we need to help our students grapple with some of these big issues. We have to teach them the story so that they can understand the issues within context, right? The, the, the Catholic church doesn't just randomly teach things because it feels like, oh, they want to be oppressive or that this looks good or yada, 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 yada. No, all of that flows from a story, from a history that we know that God has shown his love. Um, it, it, it flows from a relationship with Jesus Christ, whom, whom God sends, whom the Father sends to us, whom God the Father sends to us to be our guide, right? And if we look at the story in scripture and we look at the, um, oftentimes the stories um, show us and reveal like, oh, this is what happens when we make bad decisions or um, do things against the natural law or against God's plan. There's all these natural consequences that the people we read about experience, right? And, and many of them learn the hard way. Uh, what, what I love about scripture is these people, the people we read about, Abraham, David, Moses, these are these are ordinary people that God calls to do great things and God does amazing things through them. But good Lord, do they end up in some really precarious situations because they they often choose their way over God's way and they quickly realize, oh, this was a bad idea. I need to go get back on back, God, God's track. And so seeing that play out, seeing those stories, seeing the relationship of the disciples, this is what the story of salvation history is. And it shows us, hey, if I screw up, I can get back on track. Hey, if I make bad, if I make bad decisions, there's going to be consequences, right? But the Lord is waiting there um, to welcome me back. And so these are just some great resources. Um, pop culture connections. I often ask this of my guests. So what are some things for me? Uh, I may have recommended some of this stuff before, uh, but, but I want to kind of recommend it in this context. Uh, one of the, one of the, uh, I think a great movie, honestly, or two pretty well done movies. The first is better than the other, and they're both animated, but I think they work well and they're not going to give you the whole context of salvation history. But, um, I really liked showing the Prince of Egypt, um, in my salvation history class courses, uh, because it, it, it was just one way to kind of bring one of those stories to life a little bit more. And I think it's very well done. Uh, do they inject some artistic creativity to, to, um, to the story? Yes. Um, and honestly, one of the things that I would have my students do is I would have them make a list. What are the, what are the differences between the, the story we get in scripture and the story on the screen? It was just a, a simple exercise to get them kind of engaging, but also give them something to do, um, to, um, to give them a picture of what, what it could have been like. Um, I also think um, another beautiful one is uh, by the same group that did that one uh, is um, Joseph King of Dreams, uh, both animated, but I think could be used well in the classroom. Um, we've mentioned it countless times before. Um, many guests have mentioned it. I've mentioned it. If you haven't watched it yet, watch The Chosen. The Chosen uh, just gives, and once again, artistic creativity, and it's very much a meditation of what's happening in the lives of the apostles and how Jesus calls them, but such a beautiful, beautiful picture of um, the struggle to take our story and merge it 
with the story to find our story within the story. And it's just, it's beautiful. Um, the last one I want to recommend, and I might've mentioned it before, but if I haven't, um, really just season one, I, I don't think it, it kind of dives out a little bit more after that, but season one of once upon a time, it's an older show that came out. Um, oh, I want to say it might've been 10 years, maybe not quite 10 years. Um, but, but just about 10 years old, um, uh, is the story of these, this, this, these storybook characters that have been placed under a curse and they're all living in, in Maine in, in Storybrook, Maine. Um, if you haven't, if you haven't heard of it and the, the whole first season is about them trying to recover their story. They've lost who they are. They don't remember that they're fairy tale characters. They, they've forgotten who they are, who they love, all these things. And the whole story is about them recovering their story so that they can recover their identity and recover who they are. Right. Um, so it's a really, it's, it's honestly a pretty beautiful analogy for salvation history and for our culture. When we forget our story, we forget who we are. And so sadly, many people don't know the story of salvation history. And so they've forgotten who they are. So I really invite you to, to look at those things as options to engage, but really, I just want to encourage you if you don't summarize the story of salvation history with your students, I invite you to do it every year, even for just a short amount of time, especially obviously if you're not teaching it as a course, right? Find ways to incorporate it because they need to be reminded. And so often the reason they're so disengaged is they don't know the story, right? So join us next week um, for our final episode. We'll be live. Our final episode of the season will more than likely return again in September. But our last episode of this season will be Tuesday, June 8th, um, live um, from 6.30 to 7.30 Eastern. The topic will be empowering parents, supporting the primary educators of your students with special guest professor Douglas Bushman. Um, it will be recorded as well. So if you can't join us live, it will be, the, the recording will be available um, by that Friday. Uh, and we hope that you will uh, have a listen to this final episode of the season and that you'll return and, and listen again next season when we come back. Uh, if you need a certificate for this or any other episode, as a reminder, sophiainstituteforteachers.org slash CITC certificates. As a reminder, we only process certificates and email them out the first and 15th of the month for less for the free lesson on today's theme or any other theme from any of our other episodes. Sophia Institute for teachers.org slash CITC lessons. Um, and if you have not done so, please subscribe, give us a review, listen to us on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google play, YouTube, Vimeo, wherever you, you desire, just please uh, rate us, give us a review, share, share, subscribe. Um, and, and, and pass it on to your friends. Our, join me in our closing prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. John Bosco, you heroically sacrificed yourself in order to lead young people to Christ, to form them in the truth and morals of the Christian faith, and to establish lasting Christian education. Help me in my work as a teacher. Obtain for me from God holy love for my students, so that I may generously guard them from the devil and from danger, and guide them to Christ. Amen. Thank you all for listening. Uh, God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Uh, and Thank you for participating in
this week's episode of Christ in the Classroom. In order to request a professional development certificate, please visit sophiainstituteforteachers.org slash CITC certificates. In order to access the free lesson with today's theme, as well as show notes, please visit sophiainstituteforteachers.org slash CITC lessons. Thank you and God bless you.